Well, if you're like me, as you go through the day, you'll find that the level or the ratio of the procrastination in your life compared to the level of purposeful activity uh, that you're doing will increase gradually. And sometime in the mid-afternoon, you have to think, you know, what am I actually trying to do today? I don't think just doing the daily Wordle was what I was interested in. I actually had some more things to get done. So... As we've gone through the entire, we're going through the entire Gospel of Luke this year as a church, the struggle for me, and I think for others as preachers, is the same. You know, we're to keep remembering what are we trying to do? What's the big picture and the purpose of our study of this Gospel? As we look at all these in- interesting individual stories um, that Luke tells us about Jesus. So, as we start thinking about this passage today, I just want to remind you that I've said kind of up front this year that when we're looking at the Gospel of Luke, I believe that it's intended to answer some big questions for those who read it. And for us too, questions that are important for the church to understand. So two of them at least. The first of those questions is, what is the gospel? So what is this gospel or good news that the church is based on? What is the message that creates the church? And the second question that Luke answers is, who is the Messiah? Or who is the Messiah? And after that, well, what is the Messiah going to be like once we figured out who it is? And what we've seen over the months of looking at Luke is that when you answer those questions based on what Jesus did and what he said, you keep coming across this theme of the kingdom of God. Now, you might have heard that in the passage again today. So what is the gospel? Well, the gospel is essentially a message about the kingdom of God coming into this world. And the kingdom of God is the presence of God himself all around us and in us. It transforms and saves the world across multiple dimensions. So that's what the gospel is, according to Luke. And who is the Messiah? Well, the Messiah is the king or the leader of this kingdom and the one who shows people how to experience and live in God's kingdom and how gives them the ability to enter into it. And so Luke, over, over and over again, is showing us two different facets of these two questions and their realities. What's the gospel? Who's the Messiah? What does this mean? Today, then, I think we learn in our two stories that we read that Jesus, as the Messiah, he's showing us a way or the way to enter into experience of the kingdom. And he shows us some of the paths that we walk towards experience God's kingdom, experiencing God's kingdom in our lives. And I think what he teaches us is that this path is a twofold or a two-sided path or two ways, what we might call the way of the cross and the way of glory. The way of the cross and the way of glory. And if we understand, I think, these two ways of experiencing God and experiencing the gospel and the kingdom, we'll be closer to experiencing this kingdom ourselves within the world we live in. So there's the way of the cross and the way of the, of, the, of the glory. So we start with the way of the cross in the first half of our reading today from verse 18. So our reading opens with Jesus. He's essentially quizzing them. Who do they believe that he is? Or who do people believe that he is? It's a kind of you know, 20 questions, you know, tell me. It turns out on basis that they, they think that the crowds of people who are following Jesus have lots of different opinions over who he might actually be. Mostly, though, they seem to believe he's a prophet of some kind who's been reincarnated in order to teach them. So maybe he's John the Baptist again. I'm not sure how that works since they were both alive at the same time, but that's okay. Um, 
Elijah, maybe he is. Maybe he's one of the other Old Testament prophets who's come back. So obviously the crowd doesn't know the full truth, but Peter does. And he affirms it when he asks, who are you? Jesus is God's Messiah. He's, he's, he's figured it out. And as we've discussed earlier, the Messiah then, yes, is much more than a prophet, just more than someone who tells us about God. The Messiah is going to be the person who will sum up in themselves the entire purpose of God's people. The chosen leader, full of the spirit of God, who brings God's kingdom into the world in a real way. The Messiah is God's agent in the world. Uh, And so Peter and and the disciples say, well, this is who Jesus is. He's not just a prophet. More than that, he is the Messiah. And so it's a good, full marks, Peter, very good. You got it. But then unfortunately for them, having recognised this, Jesus starts teaching them about what the Messiah is actually going to be like and what he's going to experience and what they're going to experience following the Messiah. So, you know, if we imagine what a glorious God-anointed leader might be like and what it might be like to be part of his movement, we might imagine this powerful, triumphant, victorious king getting things done, changing the world. But Jesus lets them into the mystery of his life, that he is the Messiah, but the Messiah is going to be a king who suffers. He's going to be one who dies. And he says to them, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed on the third day and rise to life. This here is the first time that Jesus mentions the cross to his disciples in Luke and reveals what's going to happen to him. So the point is, they know now who the Messiah is. It's him. But now they need to understand what he's going to do and what they're going to have to do. There will come a victory, he says, yes. He's going to come in glory with the angels and the kingdom of God is going to be displayed to the world, as he says in verse 26. But that time is not going to come right now. It's not going to come easily. The way to that victory and the way to that glory of the Messiah is going to come through the cross. And not just for him, but for his disciples too. So double good news for them. He goes on to to say one of the most challenging things he ever says in the gospel in verse 23. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. So to follow Jesus means to walk after him on the way of the cross into the kingdom. Now, why is that the case? That's a good question. Why is this the way that Jesus had to go? Why is this the way that his disciples have to go? So I want to think about that in a minute, but I want to think about that after we just consider our next story, uh, the story of the transfiguration. So I think the, uh, the transfiguration is a description of what we might call the way of glory. This is a different way of experiencing the kingdom. It's it's an experience of a direct and gracious experience of God's presence in the world right now. So just over a week later after his talking about the cross, Jesus takes three of his close disciples away to a mountain to pray. And we saw that in the Lego. We heard about it in the Bible. And at that time, there's a special experience. They see the glory of Jesus revealed in a shining splendor. His face and his clothes change. And they're joined by Moses and Elijah, who talk to Jesus about the kingdom. They talk to him about his death. They talk to him about what's going to come on. And God the Father himself speaks to them from a cloud of glory that descends on top, onto them. So for them, this is an overpowering experience of God's presence. So we talk about this as the transfiguration. It's a word that 
is translated transfigured. It's a change of appearance of Jesus. It's the Greek word metamorphosis, a change in, the, in his being or, or a revealing of Jesus' true nature to him, to them on this mountain. And I believe that at this time on this mountain, the disciples actually see Jesus finally for who he really is. And they receive a foretaste of the kingdom of God, which he promised they would in verse 27. And they're so overcome by this experience of glory that they don't understand what's happening. Um, we often laugh at Peter with his kind of suggestion in brackets, or, you know, or building the tents for Moses and Elijah to stay, him, to stay in. It is a bit funny. He doesn't know what he was talking about. Um, we might be being a bit hard on Peter, though, when we do that, um, because he may be referring to an Old Testament festival called the Festival of Shelters, which you can read about in Leviticus 23. It's a celebration of God's goodness his salvation, people would go out in, in small shelters and live in tents for a few days to celebrate. So, um, but whatever, however cl- clear his understanding, Peter is trying to grasp on to this experience of God's glory, hold on to it and to, to let, make it continue because this is what he wants. Um, and so I believe that the transfiguration here of Jesus, what he's doing or why it happened is it's intended to reveal to us the way the world always is and the way it will be where the kingdom is. It shows us that this creation is always filled with the glory of God. It's always filled with his spirit. And that Jesus, humble man that he was, just like us, was actually always clothed in the glory of his father. What changes here on the mountain is that the disciples are able to actually see it for a moment. Ordinarily, it's hidden from them. They learn that the kingdom of God, his, his, his glory is present wherever Jesus is and it's hidden and it's the, often, it's the secret basis for everything that happens according to God's plan when Jesus is around. And if you have the ability to see it, this kingdom and this glory is all around us. So what we've seen, if you're looking about these two passages, in Jesus' teaching about the kingdom, there seems to be this two-sided reality to it, which I would call the way of the cross and the way of glory. So suffering, but also splendor in the way Jesus is revealed to the world and the kingdom that he brings. And I think these two ways are not actually separate. They're not contradictory. They're actually meant to reinforce each other so we understand and support um, our experience of the kingdom. So I just want to think about what this might mean in general for us as we think about that today. So firstly, if we think about the transfiguration of Jesus, the glory that he was revealed, I think that this is a reminder and encouragement for us that the world that we live in is God's world, and it's a fundamentally good place. It's filled with the glory of God. God the Father loves this world and all the people in it, and all of our lives are actually lived in the presence of God's spirit. The kingdom of God and his glory is here now. The world is not empty. It's not meaningless. It's not doomed to destruction. It's not, it's not bereft of God's presence. And I believe that everyone actually gets a taste of this at some point. You know, you might have experienced the beauty and the glory of creation. You might have seen God at work in other people and experienced his presence for a moment. The problem, however, that we have is that this glory is mostly covered over for us by our failure to pay attention and draw close to God and to to his glory. So we try to live instead in our own world, our own self-made kingdom that doesn't have God's glory. And that's the kingdom of the world. And we see that around us. It's the kingdom of the world. It destroys things. It kills things. It does all the things that we see on the news and find so frustrating and so sad. 
so when the Messiah comes into the world and confronts the, the, this world with the kingdom of God and his glory, the path that he walks is not an easy one. The kingdom of the world rejects the way of glory and the kingdom of God and fights against it. And that's why I believe that the way of the cross is necessary. And that's why Jesus had to walk this way. Uh, as we've seen earlier in this series, this kingdom of God that Jesus describes, it's a different level of reality and operates according to different rules than we experience in our, in our ordinary world. It's, and it's based on God's character and his nature. And one of the fundamental rules is that in the kingdom of God, the more that you give away and the more that you sacrifice, the more that you receive in return from God's spirit. And so that means in the kingdom of God, the most powerful, glorious, and exalted person there is in this kingdom is going to be the most humble, giving, and sacrificial of all, the servant. And so in order for this kingdom of God to come into our world and to confront the kingdom that is against it, to get to grips with sin, the Messiah, Jesus, he comes down low right into the midst of this world. He takes on sin. He accepts the suffering and death that comes from our failure. And in order to get below it and to conquer it from beneath, to bring the kingdom into the lowest place so that it can rise up, not through raw power, but through grace and love in gentle humility, because that's how the kingdom works. And that's why Jesus says the Messiah is going to have to suffer and die in order to be raised again. And that's why those who follow him are going to receive their life and experience the kingdom when they also take up their cross each day, because that's where Jesus has gone. That's the way of the cross. And that's the way of glory too. And so I hope this idea of the two sides of the kingdom, that two ways, is clear. This is what Jesus is showing us today. And I think it's helpful to understand the kingdom of God in this way because it does so much for how we approach life in this world and as followers of Jesus. So just a couple of application points for this because I think that if we grasp these ideas, it builds our faith, hope and love as Christians as we encounter it. So firstly, I think if we understand the glory of Jesus and his cross, we can have a fundamental faith in the goodness of God and his purpose for us and the world we live in. So, again, as I said, whatever happens, we know that the glory of God, his spirit, his presence is with us. It's around us. It's in us at all times. We're not alone. And I think we should pray and seek that we should have our own transfiguration experiences, that God would show us, even for a moment, this glory so that we can convinced, be convinced of that truth and, have, and, and enrich our faith in him. So we can have, have faith because of this. Secondly, while we walk through this world each day, we can have hope that in the midst of all our suffering, all these things will happen to us, even persecution, even death, the kingdom of God is still here. And in fact, that is where the kingdom of God is found. That's where Jesus is. Jesus the Messiah is there with us in suffering. That is the way of his glory and that's how he came to bring life to this world. It's not meaningless to suffer or to sacrifice for what is good and what is true. And we can hope that the kingdom of God will be seen by ourselves and others when we take up our cross each day and experience that. Uh, finally, I believe that this calls us to a deeper experience of love. There is a danger when we look at the world and other people that we'll see only with the eyes of the kingdom of the world, which looks at the surface of people's life. 
The kingdom of God, the kingdom of the world judges people by their appearance, by their outward success, by their actions, and it can be, that's why it can be a very cruel place to be, can't it? Even we can see other Christian people that way at times. But God loves this world and the people in it. We know because he's willing to go to the cross for them. And his glory is on them. It's on you. It's on me. Even when it is hidden at the moment. The shining splendor of God's spirit. And the more we come close to Jesus, the more we'll see that. In others and in ourselves. And I think that opens up a deeper love for each other and for the world. And that's part of growing up, I think, in maturity as a disciple of Jesus and being part of his kingdom. So I want to finish my reflection today. Just the Apostle Paul spoke about this in his famous passage in 1 Corinthians 13, about where the, the way of the cross and the way of glory leads us in love. So Paul says, When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the waves of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And he says, and now these three remain, and I say they remain in the kingdom, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. I'm going to say a word of prayer, then I'll invite Alan to come and lead us in some more prayers this morning. Lord, we thank you that your kingdom is present on this world, and we do pray that you would reveal to us the glory of Jesus that is present We pray that we would see him as he is and therefore see our world and ourselves as we are too. I pray also that we would be willing to take up our cross daily and to follow him on the path that he leads. We pray all this in his name. Amen.